a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this very, very special episode, guys, we have Samuel Chong joining us to talk about a book written by a guy named Michel Demarquet that he uh, just got so obsessed with that he went to go find the author in Vietnam, and it's it's just an incredible story. So the book that we are discussing today is called The Abduction to the Ninth Planet, a.k.a. The Thayuba Prophecy, The Golden Planet. Now, this is a true report by the author who was physically abducted to another planet and it's one of the coolest damn stories ever guys this is why i started this show is for this story right here it's got everything first of all samuel is incredible uh samuel chong which all the ways again to find him and the book of course will be located down in the show notes but on this one we talk not only about the abduction experience that michelle encountered and Thou and all of the, I mean, guides and characters and animals and structures and planets and everything in this story, but also we cover... I mean, uh, former lives, ghosts, mind power, uh, planetary categories, uh, ancient mythology on our planet that's actually very interesting on others, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, vortices, time slips, missing time, uh, Moses, Jesus. Like, this goes so far, and it is one of the coolest damn stories I've ever heard. So, you guys are absolutely going to love, 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 love this episode, and you're going to love Samuel, because again... He's amazing. So guys, check the show notes for all of that. Uh, While we're doing this, before we get to the conversation, let's talk about the resource links real quick. We've got Food Forest down there, Opus, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support, as well as Red Circle. If you want to start your own podcast, we recently switched in love with these people. The link is down there called Start Your Own Podcast. Definitely take advantage of that. Also, The Manifestor's Guide. If you really want to step your game up as far as your life goes, check that out. Call my friend Dewey Taylor, and the link is down there, promo code ExpandingReality all caps no spaces right all of that's linked down in the show notes definitely check that out as well while you're down there check out expandingrealitypodcast.com that's where links to everything can be found the socials lives are replayed all of that good stuff but you could go sign up to become an expansive insider and that is where all of the fun stuff is going on we have bonus episodes your x panel series that we've got over there the huge collaborations as well if you would like support the mission if you find value from this show and these conversations support in any way that you can there's a link down there that says support the mission huge guys every little bit helps helps definitely share and support and rate like all that good stuff everything everybody else asks you to do go ahead and do it because it's very very important for shows like this that you actually enjoy so definitely check those links down in the show notes guys let's get to this amazing conversation with samuel chong welcoming to the show we have samuel chong hanging out with us. samuel how are you brother good very good Good. Uh, well, you are the representative for an amazing book uh, by Michelle Demarquet, which we are going to get into here, The Thaluba Prophecy. Did I say it right? I know everybody mispronounces it. How do you pronounce Thaluba. it? 
Theuba. Okay. Theuba yes. Prophecy, The Golden Planet, which was formerly called The Abduction to the Ninth Planet. Amazing book, guys. So, of course, all the ways to find Samuel as well as this amazing piece of literature right here will be located down in the show notes. So, make sure that you guys check that out. One of the coolest damn stories I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's mind-blowing. It's whimsical. It's fun. It really makes your mind go. And so this is one of the coolest things is, is finding a story like this that just really lets your imagination wonder. And we on the show here, that's the name of it, Expanding Reality. And this this single book right here does exactly that. So let's talk about it, man. First of all, how the hell did you find this damn book? Well, I was uh, searching for information on Amazon, especially for books related to messages from ET contactees. I was looking for information so that I can learn, especially the ET technologies or something related to how we can evolve at much faster pace. So I accidentally stumbled, stumbled, um, stumbled upon this book and I checked out from the library and um, and there is, and I found the book extremely fascinating because different from other ET contacted books, this book is very specific on so many details and we can relate to um, in our real world, and we can also check the evidence out. You know, I, I heard your conversation uh, with Karen Swain. Now, I've had Karen on the show before. She's a good friend of the show. She's a great friend of mine, uh, and she's just a delight. So she actually is the one that recommended that you and I connect, and I'm so grateful that she did. This is one of those things. Now, it's interesting. Um, I don't feel that this found me accidentally. I really do look at this as a synchronicity. So do you... Do you think still in, in this current day that you found the book accidentally or do you feel like you were kind of guided to it or that there was a higher purpose behind your discovery of it? I think there is a higher purpose because um, I always uh, uh, I was always fascinated by the mysteries in the universe. And the, the reason that I was able to locate the author without really knowing where exactly he was living at that time. That meant something. And also, I think this is my life purpose, is to spread the messages in the book. We are really at a critical moment of time. I mean, our human history is at a very critical moment of time. And I think um, my my life purpose is just to let as many people know about this book as possible so that people can really act accordingly. Awesome. Well, we're, we're going to definitely get you a few more here today. So uh, this is this is right on par. You're right on brand. I'm telling you, this is, I'm so excited about this conversation. So I, I, you sent me a digital copy of the book, but I, that wasn't good enough. For, I dove into this and just went ahead and ordered one. And man, I've got a ton of notes in here. I've got a ton of questions for you. So let's get started with the author, Michelle Desmarquet. How, how did you meet him? Well, um, you know, in the postscript of this book, it says there are more things that the author, Michel de Marquet, was not allowed to write in the book. I was very curious about that, many things that he was not allowed to write in the book. So I was determined to look for him. And uh, I searched on the internet and found a photo of um, a traveler who took um, where Michel de Marquet was living at that time, just a photo of the bungalow. And then I showed the photo to the taxi driver after I landed in uh, the southern Vietnam. Um, and then uh, the taxi driver took me there. And then there I found uh, Michel de Marquet. This is what's so wild with a picture. And it cost you a lot of money to go fly over to Vietnam to find this guy just because of the postscript of a book that he wrote. And you wanted to ask him more questions in person. It's fascinating, man. What? Why were you so motivated and driven to do that? 
Um, I'm always a very curious person. I'm very curious about uh, many things in the world, how the governments are run and how the world politics are are going to the way that they are right now, and especially to the ET technologies and ET messages. I'm always very curious about uh, what we as human beings need to learn to evolve uh, at a much faster pace. And I think uh, we are just too slow to uh, to move up to the ladder. I really wanted to get a shortcut. So I think uh, by reading this book, by meeting the author, asking questions about how we can evolve, um, and I think uh, that's a shortcut. I always want to take the shortcut, a more a faster route. Well, I love it because it it sounds like like the most adventurous thing. Just to go on a, I mean, that's that's the whole motivation for you buying a ticket. It's just to go meet this guy, ask him a few questions because you're so curious and intrigued about the story that he wrote. And you fly all the way to Vietnam to go meet the guy. It, it's absolutely fascinating, man. So let's uh, let's just launch into it. So, do you want to talk about the abduction with me? Yes. Um... Well, uh, it happened um, in in the year 1987. The author, Michel de Marquet, he woke up in the middle of the night. He didn't know why, but he wrote a note to his wife saying that he would be gone for 10 days and there's absolutely no need to worry about him. And then he walked outside of his house and he was lifted up in the middle of the air. And then they first arrived in the in a very unique location, which is a parallel universe. Uh, he saw a lot of uh, strange people in the medieval times and also some of the, what we call savages. And um, and he it was explained uh, that they the reason they first went into a parallel universe was to prevent people on earth from seeing them. And then after that, uh, after a few encounters, um, he was brought into the spaceship. And uh, on the way to the planet Theoba, they stopped by um, another planet called Arima X3, where he saw uh, the devastation after uh, nuclear war. And then, but after arriving on the planet Theoba, he had a very, very interesting experience. And he was explained um, many of the mysteries on Earth, such as uh, who built the Great Pyramid of Egypt and for what purpose, what happened uh, to the people and the ships and planes uh, who went missing in the Bermuda Triangle? And um, where did the black people, the yellow people, and Caucasian people and Jewish people come from? And what happened to the stories in the Bible? Who sent Moses and Jesus Christ to us? And very interesting uh, facts that people really can verify. It's, it's amazing. Uh, this book has it all. I'm telling you, it covers the paranormal, uh, ghosts, uh, ETs, interplanetary living, the chakra system, whenever they get uh, to the end there, and we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to point out about the abduction itself is it's so interesting because he, he writes in here and it's straight out the gate. There's a there's a forward and the abduction, a preface and a, the abduction. It, it, it goes right for it. So one of the interesting things that I thought about this was in where he says that he woke up at about 1230 a.m., which is not like him at all. He doesn't usually wake up at that hour. He put took his pajamas off and put pants and trousers, like trousers and dress to go out, like to be social out in public. Writes his wife a little note, which I mean, that's amazing in itself that in 1987, I don't know if wives are different now, but I don't know that my wife would care for that very much or, you know, say, yeah, you can go, you know, just be gone for 10 days and that's fine. But that, that was something very interesting that I thought. So what do you think motivated him to get out of his pajamas, put on pants, write the note and leave? 
I think the ETs uh, knew about uh, him and also his wife. His wife was a kind of a very suspicious person in a sense that she still thinks that Arthur, the other Michel de Marquet, had an affair with another woman. So to this day, his wife uh, just doesn't believe what happened to him. But his family, other members of his family, like his son, believes everything happened to him, um, and, but not his daughter. So his family is divided. I think the ET or ETs know every single thing about him and his family. I think that's the reason. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and um, when he comes back as a the chapter returning home, um, that's when he explains to his wife, hey, just let me sleep. He sleeps for like 36 hours. Uh, and again, guys, I'll link all this in the show notes. You've got to get this damn book. It's one of the most amazing reads ever, because even if it is a story made up and that, yeah, he did just go gallivanting for 10 days or something. It's one of the coolest, most elaborate. And it's full of a lot of wisdom. And it's and it's really, really interesting. So it, it doesn't matter to me if it's real or not. I have a tendency to think that people that experience this type of thing really do experience this type of thing in one form or another. This entire thing, in my mind also, could have just been a dream, but there are such interesting details in it and such an interesting experience that it kind of, it's it's not like writing off a dream as just like, oh, that was a dream and whatever. It has some such profound experiences in it that it more mirrors in my mind like a psychedelic experience to where he's taken on this trip he learns a lot of things he walks around and uh, again we're, we're going to get to this but one of the interesting parts about this was that he just put clothes on and left and wrote the note floated up and then another interesting part was whenever him and um thou isn't it uh, his yeah, guide thou. yes thou yes. uh, also kind of like a dante and virgil story it's almost like the, you know, Dante's Inferno to where he has a guide that takes him. He is whisked off somewhere else. Um, issues with the wife. So there's there's a lot of parallels there with the with that story also. Now, um, something that I found interesting was whenever they were ascending up into the ship, she grabbed uh, her belt and said, just don't don't touch me at all. Why do you think in your mind that whenever they were ascending up to the ship, he could not he she was very over in like overemphasize, do not touch me whatsoever until I tell you to. And then once they were on the ship, he, she said, okay, we can, we can touch now. So what do you, what was that about? I believe that is, they're using a kind of a magnetic system or electromagnetic system to lift um, themselves up. So I think uh, if Michel de Marquet really touched Tao at that moment of time, it would interfere with the, uh, the force the electromagnetic force that would cause a lot of uh, issues with their system. So I think that's a very technical issue uh, in which the author, uh, Michel de Marquet, really um, didn't explain to me why that's the reason. I don't know if that fact was explained to him by Tao or not, uh, but uh, that's what's written in the book. There are a lot of things written in the book that are not really explained by Tao. I guess we'll just have to do our own homework and to find out the reasons. Absolutely. And Tao even says in here, when he was asking about the speed, and we're going to get to the ship, uh, when he was asking about the speed that it travels, she said, oh, like several times the speed of light. And he wanted more details and she couldn't give it to him. And she even explains in here as sort of a disclaimer, hey, there's going to be a lot of things. We're going to go through a lot of information. I'm not going to be able to go into super detail about all of them, but just know that this is the answer that I have provided for you now. It's, it's very interesting. So uh, let's talk about the ship. Because that thing is crazy. So, what are what are some of your favorite details about when he was brought on board the ship? 
My favorite detail is that uh, they really went through a disinfection process. They used uh, yellow light and blue light to to disinfect him. Uh, it killed uh, about uh, over ninety percent of the germs and the bacteria and the viruses. So I think I looked it up uh, on, on the internet and I found out that blue light indeed has antibacterial antiviral effects is done by the researchers at Harvard Medical University or Harvard Medical School. And they found out that the, the blue light is really a very effective way to kill or to disinfect uh, people or, or um, objects. I think that uh, has a very, very strong implications to what we are happening right now. Um, there are companies in China that uh, are really using this blue light to disinfect or come up with products to to help people. Um, and I think uh, this is something that we need to look into and because it's uh, cheap and inexpensive and effective. Absolutely. And I didn't look it up, but now I'm just curious. When the UV type disinfecting, because we saw that a lot with what happened in 2020, that people were running around with these UV lights uh, disinfecting things. And I'm not sure if that was around in the 80s. Honestly, I didn't look it up. So audience, if you find that out, write me in. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting that this type of explanation that he has probably there wasn't an example for in our reality. So that part of it was fascinating to me as well. And especially whenever uh, the bright yellow, you know, and he's like, oh, what kind of paint is that? And she's like, oh, it's just the room. It's not paint, you know, and then it changed to that blue. And then another interesting detail was, uh, and of course, you know, she was wearing a clear helmet whenever they met and then didn't need it once they were after a certain period of time, but then gave him a clear helmet to wear whenever they were kind of in the boxes and rising up off the planet. Uh, One of the interesting things I thought also about this was the pills that she gave him. So do you want to talk about that? Yes, after he took the pills and his astral body left his physical body, he was able to really float around and follow how the um, our hostess and to see everything and to hear everything, but Tao was not able to see him. So his astral body actually left his physical body by uh, by just taking the pill and also drinking a liquid. Yeah, she gives him two pills, one to do the rest of the job of the bacteria on the inside, which I wanted to ask you just your opinion about. You know, we have our bacteria in our bodies are the reason that we're able to survive. And so, you know, do you think that it just maybe neutralized the bacteria rather than killed it off or just kind of kept it maybe? What's the explanation for that? Because if you took a pill that killed the bacteria that was harmful to others, it may also not let you survive as well. That bacteria is necessary for us. Right. I think it just uh, neutralized the uh, bad bacteria and now the good ones, the beneficial ones are kept. And I think the reason that his actual body had to leave his physical body is that uh, the vibrations caused by the pills are really or were really harmful to the astral body. If the astral body were kept into his physical body, it would uh, interfere with the vibrations of his astral body. How wild is that? That you're doing something internally and so they give you like a break while you, yeah. while you're, you know, and this is something I think that, and a lot of people think happen when you dream, right? That your body needs the rest, uh, but your spirit or your astral body perhaps does not. And so you go travel and you have adventures and maybe that's what dreams are, right? Mm-hmm. 
it it was also interesting that um, he was able to watch uh, Dow pick him up and put him in this box, which I want to talk to you about as well. Uh, and then, but meters away from his body, as he said, he moved with the speed of thought. So that's astral body. Now, again, this could be written off. I don't think it is, but it could be written off as just a dream or something like that, because now you're observing things. And even Tao said, just like you said, uh, that I'm not going to be able to see or hear you, but she kept openly speaking as if he could hear her while they were just walking around and stuff. So it's, it's very interesting to me, this delineation and because a lot of contacts that I've talked to contactees say that that's what they took. They didn't take their physical body and that's why they were able to go through walls and doors and all of these things is because they take your astral body, not your physical body. So have you ever heard of anything like that? Yeah, I've read a lot of stories about ET contactees, and I think uh, those are really interesting stories. Uh, this book, however, is uh, specifically interesting to me because it contains so many uh, specific verifiable details. And I, I really love this book because um, this book uh, has a lot of information that I really uh, did a lot of research on. Hell yeah. It's so much fun, dude. It's so much yeah. fun. So again, I'm grateful that we're doing this. So the boxes, uh, and then we'll move on from this. So uh, the boxes uh, were described as what? Coffins without lids, right? <laughs> Do you know Very what this made me boxes. think of instantly is the King's Chamber in the Great Pyramid? Yeah, I actually have been to the Great Pyramid and I saw the King's Chamber. Uh, and I think uh, it's very interesting that uh, it coins coincides uh, with uh, the shape of the king's chamber. Uh, I wonder if there's a connection over there. I know. This is what I'm thinking. This is when you hear like those jump rooms and ancient circle technologies like Avery and Stonehenge and all of that and um, Stargates and things, you know, maybe this box, you know, that they were in and he could, while he was being disinfected and everything, and then astral body was out and he was laying in it. It's almost like a way to kind of keep your body okay while you're running around doing your thing, you know? So I was just thinking that this would be a really cool addition to a pyramid as well. And perhaps that that's what that lidless sarcophagus that they never found any mummies in, um, was all about is some sort of connection there. Yeah. I think, uh, the book also says that the pharaohs used a great pyramid the right way, uh, of the supposedly to be used. And I think maybe, um, the pharaohs, the kings, uh, used, um, the, that box um, when they were um, traveling in astral bodies. Yeah. And it's cool because yeah. you hear people like Aleister Crowley and stuff like that sleeping in that thing overnight and the yeah. vibrations and all of these very interesting things. So that was just something that I definitely wanted to point out with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, um, whenever they're running around the ship and he's, you know, in his astral body and walking around to the pilots or floating around rather to the pilots and just watching everything happen. Do you, do you mind just walking us through your favorite parts of that? Yeah, I, I was uh, really surprised that he saw on the screens, like um, the numbers that we use nowadays. And then he was really surprised when Tao told uh, him that uh, the numbers actually came from um, Theoba, their, their people. So <laughs> I was really surprised. Like, I always thought that uh, the numbers actually came from, uh, like, uh, the Arab world, because we Chinese people call them Arabic numerals, mm -hmm. and actually, some people say they came from India, and I think um, it. I think it's true that they came from um, Ethiopia, and then they gave it to other people, and 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 it spread it uh, to India and the Arabic world and to us. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there's some interesting examples of Theobans being here, which we are definitely going to get to. So mm-hmm. another thing I wanted to point out was whenever they went to the the stop before before the Golden Planet, um, there were three spheres that he saw, and one one you know two went out to the left and right, and one went down. And the the zoom that he you know was so yeah. obsessed with is the fact that they could just follow this thing all the way down. Yeah. Why do you think they don't cloak those things and let? the inhabitants of the planet that they're visiting see those because we see that type of thing all the time because the way it's described is that there are basically probes that go out these mm-hmm. orbs that detach from ships now i've seen dozens and dozens of videos and heard tons of accounts like you have about these motherships or whatever some lights floating in the sky and orbs dropping from them and then moving on exactly like what's described in the book but they don't seem to care if people see them or not Right. Uh, they, they don't really seem to care because I think on that planet, Arima X3 um, is, uh, is, uh, is a planet that just uh, got, uh, just had a nuclear war. So people there were kind of primitive in a way. So uh, the reason they really wanted to show themselves were really want to, to help them to indirectly. And I think uh, nowadays we see the probes and we see a lot of things. This is actually a sign of uh, something else in which uh, is kind of related to uh, one of the things that the author, um, Michel de Marquet, was not, allowed, was not allowed to write in the book. I think the time is coming and we need to really bring ourselves into the level that is necessary for our evolution. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the first man on Earth. So tell us about that. Yeah, uh, we all came from other planets. The black people and yellow people came from one planet called uh, Barbaratini. And it, we, we came from like uh, millions of years ago. And uh, we, we, the yellow people and black people, Chinese and the black people, they, on their original planet, um, they uh, didn't get along uh, in the very beginning, but they, after a few wars, uh, including a nuclear war, they learned how to get along with each other. The important thing was to um, move up to a more spiritual level and to help each other. And then after we came to Earth and we had to survive on Earth, uh, which is which had a very different environment uh, even from today. And we had to learn how to adapt to the uh, different uh, gravitational um, forces and also the mosquitoes and uh, the yellow people and the black people all had uh, extremely difficulties um, figuring out um, how to deal with the yellow fever, which was spread by the mosquitoes. And the yellow people came up with a vaccine and uh, uh, gave it immediately to the black people. And the black people also helped the yellow people um, in a lot of ways. So the two group of people um, really helped each other over the number of uh, years until suddenly one thing happened, an asteroid hit the Earth and then caused a lot of um, uh, turmoil and um, uh, Earth changes. Um, the asteroid actually split into three parts. One part, I think it hit the Red Sea and the other part hit the East Timor area. And uh, the last part hit uh, the Galapagos, Galapagos Island. Uh, so that caused a lot of uh, flooding, flooding and volcanic activities. Uh, so most of the civilization on Earth at that time uh, were destroyed by this kind of unfortunate natural event. So 
You know, I, I've heard other people talk about this as well, is that um, humans aren't from here, like they're from somewhere else. And we hear this with Zechariah Sitchin in the Anunnaki story. We hear it with um, the Jewish population in spirit science, and they talk about <clears throat> Atlantis and Mu and all that kind of stuff, which we are going to get to as well. And so this idea of humans not being from here, but just found this planet, and then here they are in one form or another that led us to what we are now. This is very interesting to me. I've also had a guy on named uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters, and he wrote an awesome book you would absolutely love, by the way, uh, called Identified Flying Objects. And he's an um, anthropologist, he's a biological anthropologist. And uh, he, his book or his idea is the contention from an anthropologist's perspective of looking at hominid skeletons going back that, you know, aliens or bipedal humanoids uh, could be, you know, future humans coming back in time machines, which I absolutely love. Right? It's one of my favorite ones. But what's really interesting about something that he said in relation to this was about bipedalism. So it's actually this upright body, the two legs, two arms, torso, head, all of that stuff is actually a horrible design. It's not good at all. It's not the, the most optimal design that we could see, especially for the conditions on our planet, with the atmospheric conditions, with the gravity, with everything it takes. Now, it has its advantages, right? Like, so in evolution, they tell us, well, we needed, you know, by binocular vision because we're predators and then we stand upright so we could stand and we have use of our hands for tools and all of that good stuff. And that's awesome. But one thing that I'm very interested in is the idea that, you know, people or human beings on this planet aren't from here at all. And it was kind of seeded, you know, and this idea of the beings or whatever finding planets all over the place and just saying, yep, that looks like a good one. Because it said, uh, what in the book, that uh, 1,350,000 years ago is when this civilization sent reconnaissance and then found Earth and said, you know what, this is awesome. We're going to set up shop here. And so then they had challenges, just like overcoming the gravity and especially mosquitoes, man. I, I share that with them. So mm-hmm. do you do you think in any way that they could come down and make the planet more habitable for them, even after the reconnaissance missions, like they could send a, something down to kill all the mosquitoes off or you know, make it easier on them, maybe even technologically to handle being bipedal on Earth? I mean, talking about the black people and the yellow people, they certainly didn't know the dangers of mosquitoes at that time. If you're talking about the Theobans, the the ETs uh, from coming from the ninth like, category of planet, I think they really wanted us to learn how to survive and how to respond to the life challenges. So I think they didn't interfere by killing killing all the mosquitoes on Earth, was just trying to allow us and giving giving us the opportunity to learn and how to come up with a vaccine for against the yellow fever and how to really um, cope with the uh, difficult situations on Earth so that we can really learn on our own and to have more vivid lessons um, on the way. Uh, one thing I like to point out is that um, when I was reading this book um, in the first time or second time, I was uh, curious about why the author mentioned, Michelle Marquette mentioned that the planet Bacaratini was cooling down. And that's the reason they migrated here, the black people and yellow people. Um, I, I thought, uh, what do you mean by the planet cooling down? So I did the research. Uh, what the author Michel de Marquet meant was the core of the Earth of, of that planet was cooling down. So when the core of a planet cools down, uh, it loses uh, the gravity and 
the atmosphere got lost. So that's why if the atmosphere cannot retain like oxygen and other uh, useful uh, air, and so uh, it's, it will be uh, impossible for any species to survive on that planet anymore. And this is uh, something that happened to Mars uh, 300,000 years ago. So Mars, the core of Mars also cooled down. So the people on Mars um, had to move to another planet. Uh, so that's what happened on Mars. So if uh, anyone like Elon Musk was thinking about uh, moving us to Mars, then I think uh, he needs to reconsider that option. I agree with you. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of interesting ways we could take this conversation, especially bringing flat earth into the conversation, which I'm a huge fan of just ideologically. I think it's interesting. Uh, and so when you look at things like the inner core of a planet cooling down, that goes against what you know, uh, physicists talk about today as far as having a molten core uh, that, that is heated and there's molten under there and there's no cavity or anything like a hollow earth or something. So several things about some woo-woo stuff that I just find fun to entertain the thought of were written out immediately with this book. The idea of a hollow earth or a hollow civilization or a civilization living within earth, also uh, that earth is flat or something like that. Now, it, it doesn't necessarily rule them out. It perhaps tells of a story in a way that the author expected to see and be presented with these things. So if this author had never even entertained the extra dimensional time travel, flat earth, inner earth, anything like that, then yes, the experience would present itself in this way because that's what he was most familiar with and, and would expect. And there's even a quote in here that I'd noted to talk about, about, uh, uh, Thou putting information in his head about like saying, okay, uh, right here. So this is an excerpt from it. All that I imagined was pro all that. I this is Thou speaking to the author. All that I imagined was projected into your astro psychic body, uh, which is as if it was happening. The only thing is, is not having time to prepare you for the experience. I had to be very cautious. So again, it seems like they have the ability to present any information to us that we wish to see. And even further, it goes on to say, uh, to create um, when you create an illusion, the subject or subjects should be prepared to see what you want them to see. So for example, if you want them to see a spaceship in the sky, it is important that they're expecting to see one. Same thing. If this is a reality in which there is... Uh, interdimensional, and that's the real base reality, perhaps coming to a planet or an area or a realm like ours, you would need to present the experience in this way so that this person didn't get distracted by these other concepts, right? So that yes. they were able to take him on this journey without having to explain, which is, there are tremendous things in this journey that are explained, but then even the basic stuff of the physics of the real way that reality works, if there is an alternative to this globe model, to the vastness of space, to all of that stuff. So uh, that was a lot there, Samuel, but what do you think about that? That basically reality could be a lot different and they just project in your mind what you think that they, what they think that you want to see or expect to see. I take it uh, as that the Tao, the uh, ETs from this planet, they are the masters of the mind. I mean, they can really uh, project uh, like a vision to us. Uh, they know how to do a lot of uh, wonderful things uh, that 
Jesus did in the past, like uh, levitation and telepathy and also uh, real magic, which is uh, kind of like a form of um, um, projecting a, a scene um, and to let people um, feel that they are really experiencing the realities. And um, I think uh, explains a lot of uh, interesting paranormal events on Earth. For example, a lot of people actually saw the tears of uh, the but, you know, and I think uh, this book mentions that that's actually an illusion uh, created by a chain reaction. Um, um, it's, it's actually something that people uh, should, uh, should note for it. Yeah. And this mass uh, psychosis, you know, these mass um, sightings that everybody sees, and they could just be all in the mind. And so this is what's so fascinating to me. Is once you get to a level with this, you know, technology, because all high technology at a level is just consciousness, right? And so perhaps at that level, they can kind of know, you know, what you're able to mentally take in, even though this, again, the story is so phenomenal and fantastic. And he does, it's such an adventure. But even that, I, they perhaps don't give him all of the information or all of the knowledge about the true existence of reality. I mean, you could just be, you know, one of the things I say all the time is you could be a brain in a vat somewhere, just being fed electrical signals and, and and that's your existence, right? And it would feel the same, just the same ability that they have to project these images or these screen memories that we hear a lot about in contactee cases into people's minds to make you think that that's what happened. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really trust any of it. Uh, do you trust ETs? I'm just curious on a side note here. I do, I do. Uh, there's a good side note. Um, it's a very good point. A lot of ET contactees have this kind of uh, horrifying and terrifying experiences of uh, feeling the fear or terror. I think uh, that's actually done by government black operations because we, I mean, the U.S. government has the technology already to project images uh, into people's mind. And um, I do believe that the horrifying, terrifying experiences are actually done by the black operations. Um, but the um, but the ETs, I mean, if you think about it, if the ETs really want to uh, kill us or enslave us, they would have done that a long time ago. They could have done that uh, thousands or millions of years ago. They, they didn't need to wait. They don't need to wait until now to do this to us. So I think the ETs are actually, especially this group of ETs, are actually um, helping us and guiding us like mentors, guiding us to the right path and then Actually, they have done that many times in the past. It's, it's been recorded uh, in the Bible and also a lot of a lot of ancient scriptures. Yeah, the the motives are interesting because even yeah. even the, the people that say that they've had horrible experiences and this you can say this again with psychedelic experiences with life after death experiences all of these things there's a percentage and it's a very small percentage that say it was a horrible experience uh, one star one Yelp review right and mm -hmm. uh, then it it does though seem that if they can be manipulative at that level one could then just assume or maybe make a logical not too far jump to say that perhaps they implant in your mind things that you that hated that then they go, no, 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 you actually love that. Like everything was awesome. And so really the small percentage of people that say it was horrible perhaps are the ones that aren't as susceptible to the mind control. And they can say, no, it was actually a horrible experience. But then a again, a higher percentage of people say, no, it was a wonderful experience. But again, if they have the power of the mind that they do, they could just convince you that you had a great time or that you went on this awesome adventure. And it wasn't. Again, I'm I'm very skeptical, which I know the Chinese people are as well. And so you share this with me. But I'm also a lover of this kind of cool stuff. And this I'm a huge fan of it. I just, again, want to bring that into the conversation to just kind of uh, make it a round thing here. 
So let's let's definitely talk about um, Moo and Easter Island. So you've been to Easter Island, which is crazy cool. What was that like? It's uh, it's a very interesting island, and, and I I was uh, trying to find information and tr- just to see how people how receptive the people um, are to this kind of knowledge, uh, where the statues came from. And I found that uh, it's kind of very unfortunate that people were trying to survive and trying to um, to live a very uh, pleasurable life on that pla- on that island, and they were really kind of um, not looking for a lot of uh, information like we ha- we have been talking about. Um, but uh, the island is very beautiful and is uh, fascinating. It's uh, one of the most unique places I've visited, and um, it's a very remote place. And, and it took me a while to 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 plan that trip. And it, it's better to know Spanish uh, on that island because uh, people uh, don't speak English that well. Yeah. So tell I'm, I've always been curious because I've heard the journey is crazy just to get out to Easter Island. So tell us about that journey. I, we flew from uh, Los Angeles to to Santiago, Chile, and then we took the plane uh, to uh, I think Lan Chile to Easter Island, and uh, we're really lucky. We found my family uh, members; they don't speak Spanish, so they um, they relied on the on the tour guide who spoke English. That's that's very nice. And we kind of uh, traveled the, the whole island and saw the statues at the Moas, and also we um, saw a lot of the volcan- volcanic uh, um, like uh, that vo- vo- volcanoes and and uh, kind of a very interesting experience on on that island. My son actually read a book about prophecy but unlike me he was not really into it but uh, uh, he read it uh, as a science fiction <laughs> uh, and that, and that's fine i mean because even mm. so there's a ton of wisdom in here now i'm like you i i take it as like uh, i think it's awesome and it, it'd be crazy cool if it's real it doesn't need to be real for me to consider that's an experience that this gentleman had like i don't need for someone else to validate their personal experience for me to say that they didn't have it right because there's no way for any of us to prove this and i'm not interested in that game anyway i think it's an awesome story and i dig the hell out of it so um we, the easter island thing is is very interesting as well because wasn't it part of a huge uh, larger continent or a sub a uh, bunch of islands before they sank right before it was part of the continent of lemuria and it sank uh, 14,500 years ago. And uh, it was actually like a quarry where they had uh, this kind of uh, specific stones they were trying to build to commemorate the people from Theoba. Um, on Lemuria, back then, um, when people were living there, they had a very unique civilization that was far more advanced than what we have nowadays. On that continent, they didn't have uh, money. People were highly evolved in the sense that uh, no one took advantage of uh, another person. They went to the supermarket. They went to the market in the city of the town, and then they just took uh, what they needed without any uh, waste or or anything that uh, just they took what was necess- necessary for them to to live, and they exchanged uh, everything just uh, based on established laws and regulations. Everyone followed the rules. No one took any deviations from the laws. So it was a very, very interesting um, description within the book. I strongly suggest people to read it and to see if we can really imitate the civilization on Lemuria. Um, But unfortunately, uh, the technologies that they had on that 
continent. Um, they didn't um, let the other people know at that time. Um, so when the continent sank, the technologies such as uh, anti-gravitational technologies and supersonic vibrational systems um, that they used to cut the stones in a very precise manner, those technologies, technologies got lost. But some of them really um, passed down to uh, to Atlantis, and then um, where they used the technologies to build the Great Pyramid of Egypt and also other like um, other interesting um, like places on Earth. Yeah, across Mesoamerica. I mean, there there's so many. Uh consistencies across building styles and and especially just the thought of the pyramid anyway. So uh, one of the quotes from the book as well was on your planet, money is the worst of all evils. Now try to imagine life without money. And he, uh, the author and Tao go into this and they talk about, um, you know, you see that uh, Tao would have read my efforts. If you can't imagine such a life, uh, you are caught up in the system. So this is the thing. And it's, it's very tricky. And I've heard this as well about that you can't manifest things that your mind can't imagine or that you can't visualize. So even even that, a, a life without, you know, a planet without money, what's that look like? And so from our perspective, and this is delineated in the book as well, I was happy you did it, was, oh, well, that's uh, socialism. And it's like, well, no, it's not. At a mature level, if it's executed correctly, it, it's not socialism. This is just like having the unity consciousness idea with someone in the third dimension, right? Or uh, a lower not lower hierarchical, just lower spatially. They're, they're not as a, uh, curious about the higher concepts of consciousness. You can't tell somebody that you're all one and then them jump immediately to the, oh, well, I can just go kill people because I can just go kill anybody I want because we all just return to source. We're all the same thing, right? There's a level of maturity. There's a gap in goal, right? Uh, between what we can visualize and what it would look like implemented from the perception that we have on the planet that we do being a part of the system that we have been for so damn long. So even concepts like this, which is another reason, again, guys, uh, I'm going to link this down in the show notes. Highly, highly recommend it. Now, um, whenever we talk about Lemuria, Mu, Atlantis, all of these older civilizations, uh, the you know Emerald Tablets of Thoth, and all these wonderful, wonderful stories, what happened to those people? I mean, after the uh, Earth changes, actually, Lemuria, Atlantis, actually, were um, the continent sunk into the ocean. Uh, the book really doesn't talk about Atlantis, how Atlantis sunk. Uh, but for Lemuria, it was caused by earthquakes and also the gaseous belts um, beneath the continent. Uh, and then volcanic activities and also uh, everything happened in a very sudden, in a very short time. And the author, Michel de Marquet, actually relived the days when the continent of Lemuria sunk into the ocean. And he saw how horrifying the entire experience was. And also, um, it's really like a natural catastrophe. It's not something like a war or something like that. But, uh, but it makes me really think uh, what we need to be prepared of uh, in the future, especially with uh, the current uh, situations, um, climate change or anything. But, but more importantly, how to how to really live more in a more spiritual way because uh, the book keeps emphasizing that the danger is not nuclear bomb. The danger is the way we live. Um, and we really need to think about it. 
Completely agree. Again, it's that jump. It's that gap in the goal that we've got. There's a big gap in between even what we can conceptualize and what it will take for us to survive as a species, if that's something that we're interested in doing. You know, uh, again, with these natural disasters, with all of this, with Lemuria being such a high, enlightened, technologically advanced, even though it was in a different form, it was what we would call magic. Uh, You know, how was there no way to determine that this was about to happen to them? Or was it just a destiny thing or... something nefarious or like I would think that a a civilization that that's in tune spiritually knows the earth and knows a lot about the earth or that technologically advanced would have some sort of like inkling that this was going to happen kind of like um, the planet that's whose core was dying and cold like they had the foresight and they had time to be able to go oh we've detected this things are getting colder we got to go we got to go somewhere else and they just jumped ship to go to another planet we don't really have that option. So it, it seems interesting, again, that these Lemurians, you know, had all these advanced technology, couldn't see it. We have some early warning detections. I wouldn't call us technologically advanced, but like we'd be screwed if something like that happened and it would just be over for us. One thing we have to keep in mind is that Lemuria, the people um, on Lemuria also lived on Earth, which is a category one planet. It's not category two or three. Uh, it's pretty primitive and basic, uh, just like elementary schools. So people there, um, although they had uh, advanced technologies, and uh, they really uh, probably didn't really focus on earthquakes uh, at that time. You know, one detail in the book was that uh, there was uh, like a meeting of uh, seven important, uh, uh, the highest leaders of that continent. And then um, there was like a suggestion that the earthquake was about to happen. And then I think uh, there were a lot of warning signals to the king of uh, Lemuria at that time. But uh, it was too late. I think it's just like when you are the ruler of the of a country, and there are always different voices and giving voicing different opinions. Some say the earthquake is um, is going to be very strong. Some say no need to worry about the earthquake. Just like nowadays, like if if. Um, if someone is the president and some people are going to say the vaccines are good for people and some people are going to say the vaccines are bad for people, they're just, uh, it's, it will be really difficult for the ruler or the decision maker um, if if someone is not uh, wise enough to make the right decision. I think I think uh, this is uh, happening nowadays too, uh, a very unfortunate event. Hmm. It's it's very interesting, and I, I I'm on board with your perspective, man. Again, very enlightened. I, I dig the hell out of this. So let's talk about the Golden Planet. All right, so Golden Planet, man, go. When they get there, what's going on? So first, um, before arriving on that planet, on that planet, um, Michelle de Marquet saw a golden mist surrounding that planet. Everything is like uh, so bright and so beautiful. After he landed, he he was uh, given like a helmet, um, like a sunglasses to filter out, filter out the, the sunlight and also the strong colors. Because on that planet, everything shines so brightly that it would hurt or maybe um, make, uh, make Michel de Marquet uh, dizzy because of the strong colors and and the strong lights. And also another thing is that the gravity on that planet is lighter than on Earth. So Michel de Marquet had to really be careful when he was uh, moving around. If he really uses the 
force too strongly, he would have jumped up uh, maybe a few meters. So he really had to be careful. His ego really wanted, uh, his ego was really expecting like a red carpet and the leaders of uh, the planet feel about welcoming him, but it didn't happen for a very good reason, because its purpose of uh, visiting the planet was not uh, really uh, to be like a guest. He was more more like a, like someone who made mistakes or someone to be to be taught a lesson. <laughs> so in that role, he would land it on that planet. That's why when he really um, was expecting uh, like a welcoming team or it really ha didn't happen. Instead, after the second, after the first day, when he was led to to the seven great masters of that planet, planet he was really taught uh, spiritual lessons or taught uh, very important knowledge that he had to um, write a book on and, and then to let us know about it. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like going to university out of state. You know, you think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to college for the first time. This is great. And then you just show up and they're like, here's your schedule. Go to class. You know, you're here to do something. You're you're here for a purpose. I think that's funny. So uh, what is one of the most mind-blowing things that you think about the golden planet? I mean, besides all of them, there's so many mind-blowing things. But what's one of your favorites or a few of your favorites? I think everything is. Uh, one of the most uh, mind-blowing, actually two, one is that uh, they can really make water from air they can also make uh, they can also move around using this kind of uh, small device uh, anti-gravitational force and also a kind of uh, magnetic force that people really didn't need cars or or trains to move around and the second thing is that their food is kind of like a powder that releases the uh, calories um, in different times so that uh, one would not need to eat anything within 48 hours. So those two things are really interesting. And also among other things like how they, this is not written in the book, but uh, Michelle de Marquet said in an interview that they received information by kind of downloading information from another person, from another theoban. Um, for example, if they want to learn everything about the Earth, then they would download the information from the expert um, of that subject matter, and they would instantaneously know everything about Earth. Uh, so this is very interesting. Also about the animals. It's just so many things. <laughs> I know. Well, tell us about the animals. Go ahead. I think it's yeah, great. Saw... I love your passion with this, by the way. You're, you're just so great to be doing this. Go ahead. Yeah, they, um, Michelle de Marquet saw like uh, very interesting and strange animals on that planet. A lot of the animals uh, he saw um, really were imprinted or shown on on the on the pyramid where he saw the uh, Lemurians uh, people, the Lemurian the Lemurian pyramid, like uh, animals with um, uh, human head or uh, animals that uh, look like human, but they have animal heads. Uh, they, he also saw like a horse woman um, and heard the horse woman speaking in a language that sounded like a human language. And the horse woman just uh, galloped very, very uh, rapidly and also kind of communicating with, uh, with Tao, um, his host, um, on Theoba. He also saw like dolphins. Uh, dolphins are spiritual animals, and they're the smartest animals on Earth, probably. And, and um, 
And Tao specifically mentioned to uh, Michelle Demarquet that uh, the dolphins are really unique animals, and they have dolphins on Theoba as well. Um, and uh, just among, oh, one other thing is that uh, the people on Theoba, they um, really didn't have this kind of uh, false modesty. So they only wear clothes, clothes when needed to. For example, they they um, when they walked on the beach, everyone was naked, and um, and they only they 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 took a they kind of see clothes as a as a something that to 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 wear on just to for functional use, not to hide embarrassment or something like that. And and when Michel de Marquet saw them being naked, uh, then he confirmed that they were really. They're really hermaphrodites, like having male and female sexual organs. Um, fascinating information. It, it really is. And yes, the modesty thing uh, was very interesting. And I'd loved it um, when Tao told him about, you know, because near the end of the book, they talk about why they were hermaphrodites. And so she even said, oh, I can't believe it took you this long to ask. You know what <laughs> I mean? Because they were like at the very end of it. Right. And uh, I guess he was just he was just nice or something. So he didn't want to be rude. Right. And so one of the interesting things I thought about her description of that was is because they've transcended. They're they're the most advanced thing out there. They're a, a category nine planet, right? And it's it's one of these things to where like once you get to a certain level, it's it's all you. You know, it's all everything happens within you. And they can just create bodies and create everything out of, you know, other means than by sexual reproduction. So there's no real need for them to be in that form of duality, they've transcended it. And they even talked about the different energetic systems, like the nine different bodies, like your astral body. And that relates to the six major points, like your chakra systems. And all of that goes is in the book, guys. So I'm not going to go any further into it. Get the damn book. It's it's one of the best investments in your mind that you will make is reading this damn thing. So um, with the animals, I thought it was interesting too. These horse women that he saw, uh, they had wings tucked in. So now we're talking pegasuses. Now we're talking chimeras with the Lemurians that he saw with the animal heads on human bodies. So this ties into mythology that's here on earth. Do you think that that's where we get, that's where we get that mythology from and that maybe it wasn't mythology. It was just a historical record. I think it's historical record. It's not mythology. Even in ancient Chinese texts, they talk about different uh, kinds of strange animals and different strange kinds of strange plants. They call that uh, Shanghai Jing, which is the uh, scriptures of mountains and oceans. So they describe this kind of a very strange place, unique place that people can visit uh, by uh, by going uh, by going on a ship, uh, landing on that continent or or place. They would see all this kind of different. Uh, strange animals, just like uh, half human, half animals. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's a that's a fact that happened in history. What's so weird, though, is that we have examples of cheetahs and then we have examples of humans, but you you don't see in the wild anymore um, humans with cheetah heads, right? So at some point, I guess they were just split off or they just said, we're not doing this anymore. But I mean, it's just interesting to me how the how you can put an animal head like that, hair, everything on just a physical body. Same with the half horse, you know, centaurs or anything like that. Like, it's very interesting. Like, where do those origins come from? Like, were they bred that way? You know what I mean? I, I mean, because our, you know, earth mind is going to sit here and say, okay, so some guy had it off with a cheetah. And then eventually, I guess they made cheetah humans. And what does that look like? You know, so even that in itself it, is a rabbit hole to just go crazy on. What do you think about that? I'm just curious about your opinion. We won't hold you to this. I think uh, 
people who are interested can find more information and do their own research. But I think that there are more important messages in the book that are more profound and also more imminent that we really need to focus on, on, on that, which is to open our eyes up and to really wake up. I think uh, there are more important messages in the book than half human, half animals. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that answer because that's that's the kind of questions I ask, though. I'm just like, ooh, I want to know what you think about this. But yes, um, I also want to talk about the technology that allows them to just fly around everywhere because they, they even say in here they were flying over a city. There were no roads. There was nothing like that because they just didn't need them. No trains, no cars, like what you said. So what was the divide? The Tara and the Litolak, right? Yes. So they use uh, those kind of uh, small handheld devices to, one is to really neutralize the gravitational force. They call that uh, the the gravity, they call that the cold magnetic force of the Earth. So it uh, really uh, is the same word I used uh, in in another book called, uh, written by James Churchward, that talks about Lemuria. So they also called gravity called magnetic force of the Earth. So I find that very interesting. And also they used another device to really move people around after neutralizing the gravity. and and I think uh, if that could be invented, then a lot of the oil companies are going to go bankrupt. This is one of the biggest arguments, man. This is one of the things that I think about constantly. And I think about this high technology being available to humans and how we'll find these people. And you can see news stories about this all the time. People invent a car that runs on water or they can pull water out of the air or they have ether and all of that kind of stuff to where you're not dependent on petrol on anybody, really. You can be completely self-sufficient. And then they're found dead. And then they suicided themselves and all this stuff. And so this is that next step. This is that breakthrough Uh, One of the things I find so interesting is that this technology is out there. The U.S. government allegedly has it, like you alluded to earlier, and I don't disagree with you. uh, And that, though it's not going to be released to the public, so not without something tremendous going on. So do you think that you'll ever see that in your lifetime? I definitely will. Uh, I'm trying to spread uh, information and the knowledge that people can do do themselves. And it's not very easy to, it's not very difficult to do, but they cannot really apply for patents because they related to uh, national security. Because uh, if they know about patent law, anything that uh, involves national security cannot be patented. So they have to really have this kind of altruistic uh, goal in mind to serve the public, to serve the people, really have to make the, this technology and the products public immediately. Um, and um, it's, it's really something just, um, if you think about the vibrations, you can use uh, a specific frequency to break the covalence bond between hydrogen and oxygen in order to um, extract hydrogen from water molecules. I think uh, that's, uh, as long as someone can find that frequency and, and cause this kind of vibration, it's very easy to do. Many people have done that in the past, and there are YouTube videos uh, showing that they have done that in the past. It's just that someone has to have the courage to commercialize it and to do it uh, altruistically. So you think that you'll see that in your lifetime? I believe so, yes. I love this. I love your attitude. I'm a boundless optimist (laughs) like you. So I'm right there with you. I think we're going to see it too. Uh, There's going to take a shift, right, in the systems in place here for really for the people to take the power back. And hopefully that happens in a very nonviolent way. But we've seen in the past and we've never really seen that in our history, in our written history that we're told about uh, on this planet, just 
simply because we're not uh, privy to that information. So I, I definitely want to talk about some of the messaging in the book, but I have a few more just woo-woo questions for you here. So uh, Bermuda Triangle, talk to us about that. Yes. There are many, it's a fact, people people have to uh, really uh, do a lot of research on this, but it's a fact that many ships and planes uh, vanish near the Bermuda Triangle. It's well documented. And uh, what happened was that the Bermuda Triangle is a vortex, maybe like a portal, uh, a warp that uh, suck the planes and ships that rounded into a parallel universe. So inside a parallel universe, time stops and people don't feel any pain. And and it's a very unique uh, location that it's like a sphere floating around in different locations and they, they constantly move to, uh, to different locations. And I find that interesting because the book specifically mentioned that uh, um, there are many, many places like this on Earth. Bermuda Triangle is probably the most well-known one. But there are other places too, like uh, there's a guy named uh, David Pilates that documented uh, many people who went missing in national parks in the U.S. So there are kind of clusters uh, in, in different uh, national parks that people tend to tend to vanish a lot. And those are just uh, very interesting and very strange cases. Uh, like, for example, a man... Um, is uh, went missing and then people find uh, that man like a day later uh, on the back of another mountain. Uh, it seems that it's impossible for that person to travel uh, in such a long distance in such a short time. So there are a lot of other interesting uh, documented uh, uh, cases uh, that people went missing. And I suspect that uh, parallel universe is one of the explanations. Uh, is is the explanation for some of the cases documented by David Pilates. Yeah, the missing 411. I love this. And, yes. and one of the other, I'm sure you've heard this about the Granada Treaty that they allegedly signed with Eisenhower. Have you heard about this, where they exchanged uh, technology for uh, the permission to take human beings? Yes, I've heard of that. And I think they signed the treaty with a grace, a little grace. And uh, this is not written in the book, but uh, Michel de Marquet in a public lecture in 1995 specifically mentioned about the grace. They say that uh, the grace, uh, the, the Theobans say that the grace are actually from uh, category one planet. They indeed implanted certain devices on people, but not as many as people claimed only about uh, 150 people or so by 1995. And they did that because they really wanted to monitor how we respond to the increased, I mean, to the increasingly decreased immune system that we we have. Uh, and we have uh, had this kind of issue since 1948. I think when the year the atomic bomb um, kind of uh, exploded. So they also had the same issue, the grace. So they are a dying species. So they really wanted to learn how we respond to the same situation that they um, had in the past. So that's the whole reason of uh, doing so. And the Theobans say that uh, there's absolutely no danger of the implants. So they're also monitoring the grace activities. Um, to make sure that they don't harm us. So there's nothing to be afraid of. And I actually just had uh, one friend of mine, a client of mine, 
who uh, had this kind of encounter with Grace. And she suspected that uh, she was implanted. And I told her not to worry about it. Uh, they caused no harm. Yeah. And Dr. Uh, Roger Lear used to yank these out of people. And in his whole career, I think he pulled like uh, 30 or so out, something like that. Do you remember the number? Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I'm not. Roger Lear. Oh, cool. Well, I'll mm. send you something on him. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yes. And this is all fascinating. And then that was going to be my next question is why do the Theobans allow interference on our planet from another species? But it's because category one can mess with category one, right? Not really. I mean, as long as they don't interfere with our our, our free will or interfere with our own like decision makings i think uh, those are kind of allowed remember if if you if you really like read between the lines in the book the the uh, theobans interfered intervened with our activities many times in the past but mostly for positive uh, but all for positive purposes all for this kind of um, uh, to uh, to induce our activities into the more spiritual path. They destroyed the two cities, um, Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, uh, for a very good reason, because the people in the two cities uh, punished the people who did the right thing or who helped others. So they punished the people who uh, kind of were like uh, cancer cells spreading the uh, the bad things to people uh, who got in touch with them. So they had to de destroy the two cities. They also intervened uh, um, other things like helping the U.S. government to um, to make or to uh, invent the atomic bomb at a much faster pace than Germany, because Germany at that time, according to the book, was also trying to develop an atomic bomb. They sided with the U.S. government um, the lesser of the two devils <laughs> yeah. to really, <laughs> I mean, they, they believe the U S government was really sincere at that time to, uh, to help the humanity um, because otherwise, according to them, there would have been three times more death during World War II. So if you really think about that, they really didn't um, interfere with our free will. They kind of, in a way, they kind of um, kind of like helped us, uh, in a more indirect way. Hmm. You know, I, I guess I need to call Thao up then and let her know that she needs to come back because uh, there's cancers uh, like, like so Sodom and Gomorrah running our governments all over this place. And so if they are going to come back and intervene because people are being taken advantage of, hurt, children being hurt on a very deep level that we won't go into, uh, hmm. all of those things, it seems like now we're ready for a Theoban um, renaissance more than ever. I mean, I don't know about you. Like, I, I don't know that we're any worse off than Germany, uh, you know, as far as the America and the U.S. go, as far as getting an atomic bomb. And same thing, like, well, you know, it seems interesting that all these extraterrestrials or a lot of contactee reports talk about that they are very interested and obsessed with shutting down our nukes and taking those out. And so it's just interesting that I guess they helped us develop one. Now we've got it. But the bad guys, air quotes, the, the bad guys that they decided were bad, because there's also reports that the Greys teamed up with the Nazis, gave them a bunch of flying saucers and stuff. So it may have been a way to even the playing field. I don't I think the interference thing is very interesting because it's all so subjective. And who convinced them that the U.S. government was doing the right thing? Because there's companies like Standard Oil. Standard Oil was ran by Rockefeller, and he provided the oil for the Nazi plane. So there was like U.S. funding Nazi airplanes to kill to kill U.S. citizens. You know what I mean? So it's that type of... 
I guess discretion on their part is very interesting. I would just like to have a conversation with Tao and be like, hey, check it out. Uh, we actually need you right now more than ever. Here's kind of my proposal on this. And then you go over to the U.S. government and tell me what they think about destroying our education system, our medical system, uh, running everybody. This is just the way that I look at it. And a lot of people look at it. So it is interesting if they're going to intervene at all that they would have done it back then and only for the government, not uh, the Nazis, which is also interesting because they say a lot of people say that the Nazis didn't surrender. A wonderful book called The Fourth Reich by Jim Mars, where the Nazis didn't surrender, Germany did. And this is where we get the world that we see today. A bunch of them went over to Argentina. And so like, where's the, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. I have a lot of questions for Theo, but that's all I'm going to say. So uh, well, I can I can maybe get into some of your questions. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're actually doing this by they're helping us right now by inviting um, Michel de Marquet to their planet. They did that uh, a few times in the past. One of the most notable one was uh, was actually Enoch in the book of Enoch. Uh, Michel de Marquet specifically mentioned that uh, Enoch was actually taken by Theobans to their planet. And just to um, show show him and also to uh, give him messages. And Enoch actually wrote a book as well. And if you really uh, dig into history and to see what happened after Enoch wrote that book, what happened, you're going to find very interesting things. Enoch is, the, I think, the grandfather of Noah, right? Um, and I think, uh, yes, or great grandfather. Yeah. yeah. So if you see what happened after Enoch was invited by Theobans to their planet, and if you look at what happened afterwards, so this is like a warning to us. We, we have to really mend our ways and to really help ourselves because um, um, according to them, God helps those who help themselves. And um, this is uh, the reason why I'm so um, desperate in spreading the messages. I'm asking for people's help and getting uh, as many shows as possible just to reach a wider audience and people really have to take these messages uh, seriously and it has to come from the people not from the government because uh, major revolutions or changes always uh, come from the bottom um, not from bottom up not from top down so we really have to get the people's act together and to change our ways so the government can change yeah i agree it's kind of like a uh uh, ice cube or like a, a glacier or something like that. When it gets too full and too tall, it flips over, right? Yeah. And so it seems like if the government gets too high and powerful and we're just over it, then floop, the table switch. So kind of like a pole shift or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's literally a pole shift, an energy shift. So I think it's interesting. I could debate why aliens uh, or talk to you about why aliens come here and, and, and decide to do what they do all day long. But I definitely want to at least touch on Christ. So Jesus Christ, man, tell us about that. Well, um, before I read this book, I didn't believe a single word in the Bible because uh, it's just uh, um, the Bible just didn't make any sense to me. But after I read this book, <laughs> it made total sense to me, especially the New Testament. And um, so Jesus, actually, um, there are two Jesus, one born out of Virgin Mary. Um, and he really couldn't perform miracles. He traveled to India and to China and died in Japan. So there's a tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan. That Jesus was uh, highly spiritual and, and very intelligent, very smart, but he couldn't perform miracles because he forgot everything. 
when one person, when one reborn, so one reincarnates, uh, one had to go through like uh, the river of oblivion, forgetting everything happened in the past lives, forgetting all the um, knowledge to perform miracles. So that Jesus implanted uh, into Virgin Mary's embryo, uh, the uterus uh, with the embryo, um, was the Jesus uh, who really uh, like died in Japan at the age of 105, 105. And uh, people can check it out. The, the Shingo village Japan, there's a tomb of Jesus Christ. But the Christ who could perform miracles was actually one of the Theobans. And um, because he really was someone who remembered everything, remembered what was going to happen to him, he was able to perform all the miracles as documented in the New Testaments of the Bible, the four Gospels. And um, especially after reading this book, Theoba Prophecy, I think any reasonable person who really wants to um, be more spiritual would really want to research what really did Jesus Christ teach in the New in the New Testament, and how we can learn from his teachings? And I think this is a very interesting thing that I've been really working on: is to let uh, Christians know that uh, there's another possibility that Christ actually was one of the ETs. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is if if Christians love anything, it's to be told that actually your Messiah was an alien. So like that's that, I know that they're you're probably being received pretty well on that. I love this dude. I think that's so cool. Uh, yeah, and it's fascinating because then there's a, that missing time in the Bible and you know all of these very interesting things and the even the concept of like an immaculate birth or like a virgin birth, right? Because Mary wasn't a virgin necessarily. She just didn't. Uh, do the beast with two backs to make Jesus. Basically, there was something implanted in, in a gap, right? Like they hadn't yeah. uh, been intimate in a while or something like that. But uh, this is this is very interesting as well, because then, like you said, being birthed gives you that, uh, what do you call it, the river of amnesia? River oh, of illusion. Yes, I love that, by the way. I, that's that's going to be, uh, that's amazing. So um, one of the things that's interesting that I heard somebody point out the other day, that's, yes, not in the book, but it was about Adam and Eve and how they weren't born, right? They were, the, as the story goes, they were built, right, out of stuff here and, and part of God, but they weren't birthed like uh, from a vagina and all that stuff, but Cain was. And so one of the interesting things this guy was pointing out was that the first human ever was a murderer. You know what I mean? So that what does that tell you about the human race and what happened to us after that? Is the very first person that slipped out of that birth canal and had went through the river of illusion uh, ended up just being horrible and nobody that you you wouldn't want to hang out with that guy, right? So um, okay, so a couple more things here. I've, I could just talk to you about this stuff forever, dude. Okay, uh, let's definitely talk while we're on Bible themes about Moses and the Jews. So tell us about what the book says about that. Well, uh, Moses really led um, the Hebrews out of Egypt. And part of uh, what happened was that the uh, Theobans were involved in parting the Sea of Reeds, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds. This has been verified by a lot of scholars who did a lot of research on what happened uh, in Exodus. Uh, it's really not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds. And Moses was actually not a Hebrew, but an Egyptian, according to this book. And uh, there, there are a lot of interesting details. And, and the reason they chose the Hebrews or the Jewish people 
was uh, very interesting because the Hebrews or the Jewish people came from category three planet. It's not written in the book, but Michel de Marquet told me personally that Jewish people actually came from a category three planet by by accident, totally by accident, they fell on Earth. Their spaceship had a technical issue, so they had to land on Earth. So they fell to Earth by accident. Um, they had to survive, you know, you know, you know, very kind of uh, um, difficult environment because we are category one. So they encountered a lot of uh, difficulties, and they're still encountering a lot of uh, difficulties nowadays. So, so I would suggest people to read the book, and I'm not going to be able to elaborate more because it's a little bit controversial, but uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> it is, and if you're going to be controversial, this is the show. But absolutely, okay. I love your style. Uh, we will absolutely refer to the book on this. So, um, definitely wanted to talk about the docos as well. Now, this is back on uh, the Golden Planet here. So, what are the docos? The docos are the building structures where they live on planet. Theoba. So they were built uh, by a very uh, interesting force in which um, they, they, have a, they have a core. The core emits this kind of uh, force field. Uh, when people enter it, they could feel the force field. After they enter it, they can see um, totally outside. So from inside to outside, everything is transparent. But from outside to inside, people will not be able to see anything inside. And birds can land on the on the docos, and and some of the docos um, are kind of like uh, eggs, uh, upright eggs. Some of them are like uh, eggs, eggs uh, laying down. So they're kind of like uh, chicken eggs or something like that. And um, one interesting towards the end of uh, Michel de Marquet's journey, he was led into a golden doco, which is a very very special structure. He was shown other kinds of ETs, the corpse of other ETs. So there are about a, the, like a, close to 200 ETs. Um, and he was told that in our galaxy, so uh, there are other ETs um, that uh, the Theobans helped throughout history. So it's kind of implying that we are not the only one that they have been helping. So among the three category nine planets in our galaxy, Theoba is one of them. And they have helped close to 200 uh, ETs, including us. So in a sense, uh, they're the more superior um, like guys that we should look up to and we, we should really follow their, their directions. And uh, I always believe in learn, learn from the best and know everything there is. Um, and if we are to learn from the best, and the Ubens are the people to learn from, and uh, not the grace, because the grace are category one. So this tells you something. If you really want to learn from the more advanced ETs, get this book. <laughs> Absolutely do it. And it's so interesting that they have just like a collection. It reminded me of the collector from nowhere from the Avengers movies, you know, where he just has all this, all these species of things. I think uh, Howard the Duck was trapped there too. So it just kind of reminded me of that, which was very interesting. And there's so many things about this book and about the Golden Planet. And he even says it in there that it's not so alien and foreign. It's something that you can look at and recognize. It's not like going to a fractal other dimension where things are just crazy and people have like nine faces and they're all geometrically changing all the time. Like really something difficult to conceptually wrap your mind around have how the 
just how it works conceptually. But even things like uh, people flying, the eggs, I mean, all of these things, yes, it's a structure. We have homes here. When you go into our homes, you have to physically open something, walk in, and then they need to be maintained. And you can only see out if there's a transparent window, which people can also see back in. But in there, they have these home structures, these docos that you can walk in, uh, and they're completely transparent on the inside. I like Karen's question um, that she asked you that she just was thinking the whole time where they hang their paintings, you know, where they have their art at. I thought that was cute. But then from the outside, you can't see it at all. So you do have that privacy, which is very interesting, man. Uh, I love this. I love everything about this. So what about uh, I definitely want to touch on former lives with you. So former lives. Tell us about what the book says about that. So we exist in our physical bodies, but we also have astral bodies. So when a person dies, the astral body leaves the physical body and then gets united with the higher self. And then um, there is a life reveal process to see how the person did in his life or her life. And, and, and the person would be able to feel how the other people felt when when the person did something, uh, whether good or bad. And, uh, and then there are other spiritual lessons to learn and uh, the higher self would uh, um, would also give uh, and, and fall to another um, physical body or, or of a baby and to be reborn, to be reincarnated again. So <clears throat> Michel Demarquet was shown his previous 80 lives uh, in a very special way. And he actually experienced how his uh, previous 80 lives uh, were in a very short time, uh, like a brief segment of it. And he was uh, a mining worker in Germany. He was uh, a few times a beggar on the street. He was a queen uh, ruling uh, a third of uh, the planet on, on another planet. And he was also a few times a mystic or maybe like a hermit. And uh, he experienced everything. They tell him that uh, life or different lives are kind of different locations on wheel. Um, one has to experience everything in order to learn the full lessons of life, the meaning of life. Uh, so one has to be like everyone, like um, the richest person and the poorest person in order to experience everything and to learn all the spiritual lessons one has to learn in his or her own life. And uh, so life is a learning process. Um, and and I think uh, it's important to know that there is uh, life after death and there is reincarnation. And um, this is what actually Jesus was trying to show us through his resurrection after three days. Uh, three days is a very interesting number because according to, um, to Michel de Marquet, Tao told him that um, 81% of the electrons of the astral body remains on Earth after three days um, and then gets reunited with the higher self. Um, so after one pass away, 81% uh, of electrons remain on Earth for three days. Um, and then there's also the other 19% that remains on Earth forever until it's recycled by nature or, or when the person reincarnates uh, that the other 19% um, goes into the uh, the embryo or the baby. 
That's something that's so wild to me is this idea of, and you, this also ties into ghosts absolutely with this extra 19% because that's uh, kind of just what hangs out around here. Now, what if you don't reincarnate on earth and then your energy, just 19% of your energy of that lifetime that you had here, the electrons of that lifetime, they stay here until forever or somebody else just comes along like, well, if you're not going to eat it, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Until they're recycled by nature, either by plants or animals or by, by people. So there are people who just kind of, uh, uh, kind of like uh, dispels or kind of uh, get rid of the ghosts. They do that in a certain way, and they, they just uh, let the electrons get recycled or by nature or something like that. So I find that fascinating because there is a lot of fear to ghosts, and there is no need to fear ghosts because they're, yeah. if you think about that, they're just electrons. They have memories of what happened to that person when the person was alive. Uh, so that's why they always hunt uh, the places they loved or hated. They also have, because of uh, static forces, they resemble the person when the person was alive. Um, but if you really don't like the ghosts, just use a lighter because fire can cause electrons to to separate or maybe to 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 <laughs> to get rid of the electrons. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, just use fire. Yeah, or a desert, because I've heard also uh, high humidity is where you get ghosts and these apparitions from, because it can form in the high humidity of the molecules in the air. So if you just have a super arid, dry place, like not a lot of ghosts running around the desert, I guess. That's that's one of the implications. I think Mike Ricksecker talked about that on the show, and I just found that fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, and that, that's just such an interesting thing. And so now I'm thinking these people who do ghost hunts and who give like um, send ghosts onto the other side, you know, you hear about all of that's a very common thing. Oh, I have to send this ghost. I have to let them pass over. It's that confusion. All of that is an interesting thing because it's just sort of like an energetic echo of the person that was here. Kind of like if somebody invented an AI bot of you, it would have every like search engine, all of your possibilities, all of your qualities. So it would mimic you, but it's not really you because you're already 81% of you is over on Thaluba hanging out with Thou and flying around, right? But really it's like this uh, energetic imprint that kind of can mimic your... You're not, it's not really you. It's just a, a small, small, small part of you, you know, which I found very interesting that that was talked about in here. Um, okay, so we got ghosts. We got uh, the mind power was something that we definitely touched on that I was so interested about, but we're not going to get to it. I'm going to we're going to refer back to the book, guys. Um, definitely check Samuel out. I'm going to be linking all of the ways to find him. Uh, I'll let you have the last word here, man. But I mean, that the Luba prophecy, absolutely incredible, guys. Definitely. I mean, I know I talk about a lot of books on here, but man. This one is fascinating, and it connects so many themes like we talk about on the show here. So I, I find it very valuable, and I think you guys will get a huge kick out of this. And Samuel, I can't thank you enough, man, for coming by and hanging out. You're welcome back anytime because I have so many more questions for you. So uh, this was a delight, dude. So thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Shishé wodapongyo. Just one of the coolest stories ever. Uh, Samuel Chong, one of the coolest dudes ever. I mean, this is why we do it. This is why I started the show right here is for books like this, for stories like this. So definitely check out in the show notes all the ways to find Samuel, as well as the Thayuba Prophecy, which is located down there. Abduction in the Ninth Planet, easily one of the coolest stories and one of the most fun books to read. You guys will absolutely love it. Couldn't recommend it enough. 
While you're down there in the show notes, check out our resource links. We've got Food Forest Abundance, Opus, the organization for paranormal understanding and support. Also, if you'd like to start your own podcast, host through who we just recently switched through, which is Red Circle. There's a link down there that says start your own podcast. I love when people do that, and so just go for it. Uh, Absolutely use that link. You could definitely get um, some advantage there by using that. So... Also, while you're down there, if you really want to take your life to the next level, uh, the Manifestor's Guide could not say it enough how much Dewey's done for me personally in my life, and it's huge. So we're very proud to partner with them. Use the promo code EXPANDINGREALITY, all caps, no spaces, at checkout, and you'll get an even bigger discount on top of the scholarship that is that link down there. So take your life to the next level, guys. I could not recommend it enough. That's why we support it. Also, while you're down there, check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where you can sign up to become an Expansive Insider member. Now, that's where all the bonus stuff, we have some crazy cool conversations. It's a different vibe. I'm getting people messaging me about that that are just like, dude, it's it's crazy amazing. So it's like four different shows in one. So it's, it's absolutely awesome. You guys are absolutely going to love it. It's a wonderful community and just some crazy cool conversations going on over there. So if you like this, you will love that. So go sign up to do that. You can do that located down in the show. It's expandingrealitypodcast.com as well while you're there or just click on the link, support the mission. We are on a mission to do bigger and better things. Like this is next step of me coming out and actually meeting you and doing meetups and doing these huge expos all over the place. Like there's huge, huge goals and visions for this thing. And it all starts with your aligned engagement. So support the mission. That's what it requires. Come on down, hang out, value exchange with us. If you find this valuable, prove it, you know, go give as little or as much as you want. It's about investing in something you find valuable. And that's all we're ever asking for anyone to do is be actionable. So check all that stuff out, guys. It's an amazing community over there. Support the mission either way. And y'all go out into this beautiful, mysterious, amazing place. Even though we're a Category 1 planet, which is no big deal. It's still kind of cool, I think. Uh, Then go out in this amazing place. And while you're at it, raise us to at least a Category 2. I think we can do this. There's a small list of things. And it's probably just something like pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody you come across. Uh, get out of the left-hand lane for sure. Maybe even value exchange with some folks in line around you. If you you know just want to make a human's day or something like that, possibly a lizard person, but either way, make their day by just buying them a coffee or a meal. Something small to you goes a huge way in raising the category of our planet together. Again, get out of the left-hand lane. You got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And of course, go out into this beautifully mysterious place, whatever the hell this thing is, guys. And y'all be good to one another. That's it. That's really the whole thing, right? Be good to one another. Thank you so, so, so much for listening, for watching, for aligning and engaging. We will see you next time.